for the chairman, my dear brethren and sisters and our dear young people. We noted this afternoon the three reasons why it's important that we study the angels of God. <coughs> Two of those reasons we will deal with in later studies, God willing. That is the aspect of providence in our lives and how the angels work with us and how it is that we can be made equal unto the angels. We want to cover the third aspect in our talk this evening, particularly around the way that God works and operates through his mighty angels in the earth. We noted from the words of Nebuchadnezzar that God has an army which fulfills his will in heaven and earth. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, says Daniel chapter 4, and the demand of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. And God removes kings and sets up kings according to his plan and his purpose. And through the angels, with them using the forces of nature, God decrees and fulfills his will amongst the nations. And so God does have a mighty army, even Yahweh Sabaoth, at his disposal. But as with any army or any family, there has to be order and leadership, direction and structure in the way that that army operates. Amongst the angels we find very clear channels of leadership and authority, a host well commanded, a host that operates with great efficiency and that operates with great cooperation. And we're going to see tonight, God willing, two angels with special responsibilities to direct that host. We shouldn't be surprised to find that amongst the angels there are angels with authority. Surely in the kingdom of God, great men such as Moses and Paul and Elijah and Daniel and John and many others will have roles of authority. We know the apostles will rule upon twelve thrones. There will be those who have unique tasks to perform in the kingdom. There will be those who direct other saints and very likely angels as well. And so it is with the angelic host. There are commanders and leaders amongst them. We read in Daniel chapter 10 that there were only two angels that had the complete knowledge of the divine calendar. The movement of the nations was known but to Gabriel and Michael. And it's to those two angels tonight we want to direct our attention because they have a wealth of information about them revealed in the scriptures. Let's look first at Michael. Michael's name means like unto God or who is like unto God. He's the only angel called in the Bible an archangel or a chief angel and he's called that in Jude verse 9. There were other angels that had positions of authority because we read in Daniel chapter 10 that Michael is but one of the chief princes. And therefore there are other chief princes which we do not know much about. But we know a lot about Gabriel and Michael. Michael's role is the most incredibly vital role beside that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he was the personal representative of the Father upon the earth until Christ came. What an amazing privilege for this angel to stand upon the earth and be Yahweh upon earth and to stand in for God's Son until Christ came and was glorified. It's quite remarkable that our pioneer brethren clearly understood that to be Michael's position. Just take, for example, from Elpis Israel alone. How that Brother Thomas had a very clear perception of the position of this Yahweh angel. Brother Thomas says, it will be seen that the everlasting God talks and acts by or through these Elohim, but chiefly through one of them, styled the Yahweh Elohim. And when we read in Genesis about the one that's directing and commanding and to whom Adam and Eve report, it's always the Yahweh Elohim. The serpent had seen the Yahweh Elohim and his companion Elohim. He had heard the Yahweh Elohim and other Elohim conversing on their experience of good and evil and so on and so on and statement after statement evidences that Brother Thomas very clearly perceived that there was this Yahweh Elohim representing God upon the earth and that angel we'll show to you shortly is Michael 
Brother Thomas, in fact, takes his presence almost for granted in his text in Elphus Israel. He was also called in Isaiah 63 and verse 9 that we'll go to later on, the angel of God's presence that dwelt amongst Israel. Now there were only two angels that claimed to be angels of God's presence. It was Michael and Gabriel. I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And Michael was the angel of God's presence, as Isaiah 63 verse 9. They were, as it were, the two angels that stood closest to the throne who commanded the rest of the host. And Michael even commanded Gabriel. This angel is the name-bearing angel, the Yahweh angel. He's the one who could come and represent God. And how do we know that? Well, it's in the way that he talks. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 18 that we had read for us the Yahweh angel dealing with Abraham. Now, we know that three angels came to visit Abraham and Sarah. We find there in verse 9, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? So that's the two other angels who are here. And Abraham said, Behold in the tent. And he said, Did you notice the difference in pronouns? When there's a a pronouncement to be made, it is made by the Yahweh angel. And he said, not they said this time, he said, I will certainly return unto thee. And again in verse 14, Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee. And again in verse 20, And Yahweh said, I will go down now and I will know. See, here's an angel that's actually playing the part of God upon the earth. And he's called the Yahweh angel. And the incredible thing about Michael the Yahweh angel, he's the only angel that speaks in the first person for God. Every other angel you read about will quote God. The Lord of hosts says this, or God says that. But Michael says, I will do this, and I will do that, and I will come unto you. And he speaks in the first person for God. In chapter 19 and verse 14, we find the same thing, evidence to us. The two angels that go down to Sodom, very likely being the angels of Lot and his wife, arrive in Sodom and they say to Lot in chapter 19 and verse 14, up, get you out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy this place. And in verse 24, then Yahweh rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone from Yahweh out of heaven. So you see, it was in the hands of that angel to bring that destruction upon Sodom. And it was Abraham who had the privilege of standing before the Yahweh angel. When the two other angels went off to Sodom in chapter 18, Abraham is left speaking to the Yahweh angel. Now you imagine how Abraham felt. Here he was speaking to God's personal representative. No wonder he came timidly before this angel. And we read in verse 22 of chapter 18, Abraham stood yet before Yahweh. And so he's there in the presence of this great archangel Michael. And this angel has authority to negotiate with Abraham. And he negotiates down from 50 down to 10. But I want you to notice just in passing verse 17, even this angel still had to use his initiative. He had to make a decision whether or not he would reveal to Abraham what was going to happen to Sodom. Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? And then he goes through a process of reasoning as to why he should tell Abraham. And here we collect the first of our trigger points as to how the angels can work with us. Look what it says in verse 19. For I know him, says the angel, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of Yahweh to do justice and judgment. And there's a great exhortation in that is that the angels are cognizant of those who command their household to keep the ways of Yahweh. And that's not always easy. It's not easy for some of us to do, to actually command that our household keep the ways of Yahweh. And it's not always well received But the angels were cognizant of that fact that Abraham would try to do that. 
And there were some of his household that did not listen, like Ishmael. But nevertheless, he would command his household and he would instruct his household in the ways of Yahweh. And the angels can work with those who want to command their household in the ways of Yahweh. And the angel, the greatest of the angels, was cognizant of a man who wanted to teach his children the truth. And he helped him in that process. So there's the first of our trigger points of how the angels can work with us. So we have Michael the Archangel. Let's look at Michael firstly. A few things we know about him. His name means he who is like unto God. We're told he's one of the first princes in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 13. He's called Michael your prince in Daniel chapter 10 which indicates that he had a special relationship to Israel and we'll develop that in a moment. He's called the captain or the prince of the host of Yahweh. When he appeared to Joshua in Joshua 5 with his sword drawn in his hand, he says to Joshua, but as the captain of the host of Yahweh or the prince of the host of Yahweh, as the margin has, am I come unto you. (coughs) Jude calls him the chief angel, the archangel. And we're told in Exodus 23 that God's name is in him. So we have an extremely powerful angel the angel that represents God and speaks for God in the first person who is the commander and leader of God's host who sends out even Gabriel on missions and he's the commander until Christ comes into glory. His work is to speak for God. He speaks in the first person. I will do it. He commands God's angelic host. He prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ. When when he stood upon the rock We're told by Paul that that rock was Christ and the, and the angel stood upon that rock to represent Christ and he manages the divine calendar of events and he watches over Israel in particular. And I want you to just notice some of the times that the Yahweh angel appears in the record. I suppose I'm emphasising this quite a bit but I want you to just get this clear impression when you read your Bibles that we're looking for the angel. If we understand that this is how God reveals himself, that he's chosen through this one being before Christ to reveal himself and then with Christ after, we understand how God works in the earth. Yahweh had caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and took one of his ribs. So there was the angel operating upon Adam. They heard the voice of the Yahweh walking in the garden. Yahweh appeared unto Abraham. Behold, Yahweh stood by him this is to Jacob in Genesis 28 when he had the dream and, he, and Yahweh stood by him it says in the RV and said I am Yahweh Elohim of Abraham behold I am with you and there was another one of the patriarchs that had the privilege of the Yahweh angel working in his life Yahweh said I will stand before thee upon the rock and Yahweh spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend And when Moses went into that tent and he spoke to that Yahweh angel, Michael, it was like a man talking to a friend. And I think you get a sense from that of of the tremendous number of times that this angel appears in the history of Israel. Just for proof of this fact about the Yahweh angel, let's have a look at Exodus chapter 3, a context we know so well, but I want you to just notice that the angel of Yahweh appeared and in verse 4 when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see Elohim called unto him out of the bush so in those two verses you have the angel, you have Yahweh and you have Elohim all used of the same being and he said in verse 6 I am the God of thy father so you see the angel was able to speak directly for God and to, to talk as he were God I am the God of your father he said because God had appointed him to represent the Father on earth. That's an incredible privilege that angels had to represent God in that way. It makes sense, doesn't it, of so many Bible passages that we read when we understand this doctrine of God manifestation or God being represented in this way. It's very important for us to understand how it is that Yahweh came take this one for example I guess if you were like me you probably grew up through Sunday school thinking that on the third occasion Samuel heard the voice again remember the occasion when Samuel heard the voice saying Samuel and went to Eli and went back to bed 
Samuel went to Eli, went back to bed. But have you ever noticed it says in 1 Samuel 3 verse 10, on the third occasion, and Yahweh came and stood and said to Samuel, Samuel. And on that third occasion, the, the Yahweh angel appeared in the sanctuary to the little boy Samuel. He came and he stood and said to Samuel. And you see, we probably grew up like, if you grew up like me, grew up thinking that three times he heard the voice. But the third occasion, the angel was actually there. He came and he stood. And you see, we get to understand that that's how God reveals himself through these mighty angels. Now, Michael's role particularly was to look after the nation of Israel. If you're the angel that's been given the task of directing the grand purpose of God with the earth, then obviously Israel has to be one of the focus of that attention. Because Israel up until they were destroyed, were the focus of God's kingdom upon the earth. We're told by Jude that Michael was interested in the fortunes of God's people. Michael contending for the body of Moses. And it's Jude that tells us that that angel that contended for the people of Israel was none other than Michael the archangel. And so we find that Michael is responsible for Israel and for the big picture amongst the nations. Look at some of these statements concerning Michael and Israel. Exodus 23. Behold, I send an angel before thee to bring thee into the land promised to your fathers. Beware of him, provoke him not, for my name is in him. So it was a very exalted angel that was given to Israel to go through the wilderness. As we said in Isaiah 63, it was called the angel of God's presence. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 10, we, we're told that the angel of Yahweh encompassed them about. And this mighty angel was there by day and by night to protect Israel. But Israel failed. Come to Exodus chapter 33 and let's look at what happened here just to illustrate the difference between the angels. After the sin of the golden calf in Exodus 32, the name bearer, the great and mighty angel, is taken away from Israel. And Moses is told in chapter 33, Depart thou and thy people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swear to Abraham and to thy seed will I give it. So God is sending them away from Sinai to go to the land. And he says in verse 2, I will send an angel before thee. Now the translators have tried to help us by putting a small A on that angel. I send an angel before thee. And he will drive out the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, etc., but then God says in verse 3, For I will not go up in the midst of thee. Now you see, something's changed. They had the angel of God's presence amongst them to start with. But now because of their sin, they have only, we might call it very respectfully, an ordinary angel. It was no longer the angel of God's presence. It was no longer the Yahweh angel going amongst them because God says, I will not go up in the midst of thee. lest I consume thee in the way. So there was now a change of the angel that they were given. And that distressed Moses incredibly. When we come to verse 7, Moses realises what he must do. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp. Now this tabernacle he took out was the tent of meeting. It wasn't the tabernacle with the altars and everything else it was the tent of meeting it was the tent in which he and the angel used to converse and he pitched it without the camp far off and called it the tabernacle of the congregation so Moses takes the meeting place outside the camp and he understood that no longer could that angel walk amongst Israel because of their wickedness and his perception is rewarded because we find in verse 9 it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and, and Yahweh talked with Moses now that's not in the original but the cloud came down and talked with Moses and Yah, the Yahweh angel was in that cloud and we read in verse 11 and Yahweh spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend and you see, God was saying to Moses, my presence can go with you, Moses. I can't go amongst Israel. 
And so Moses pleads with him in verse 12. Yahweh, Moses said to Yahweh, See thou sayest, bring up this people. You've not let me know whom thou wilt send. I don't know this other angel. Moses wasn't being disrespectful. He's saying, I know you as a friend. You and I understand each other. We've been through a lot together. I know you by name. I want your presence with me. And in verse 14, Moses' pleading is finally accepted. He said, My presence shall go, and I will give thee rest, Moses. I'm only going for your sake. And Moses replies, If thy presence go not, carry us not up hence. And Moses is still trying to conclude the people. But you see, it was only through the intervention of Moses that this angel was returned to them. And it was following this that Moses then asked to see the glory of God revealed. And so we read in chapter 34 and verse 5, And Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And there was to Moses this great revelation of part of the glory of God, of that mighty angel. And he came and stood with him there to reveal that to him. But what's interesting from that is that Moses needed the presence of the mightiest of the angels to get Israel into the land. We know that it was later also to be a failure for the most of that generation. But Moses appreciated that he needed the mightiest of the angels. And so we have this angel, Michael, who's foreshadowing the commander of God's host, foreshadowing the work of Christ. Those of you who are familiar with Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 8, where you have the riders upon the horses know that it is the commander, the Yahweh angel, that stands under the myrtle tree, that sends forth the other angels to walk to and fro through the earth and to bring the earth to rest. In Exodus 17 and verse 16, he says, I will stand upon the rock, and that rock was Christ. He was the man, the Holy One. He was the one sent to Israel that they might appreciate that one day God would send a son to be a commander and a leader of the people. What a tremendous responsibility was given to Michael the archangel. And that lasted until the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted to the right hand of his father. When that happened, Michael very joyfully gave up to the Son of God his title and his leadership and the command over the armies of heaven because God had now had a son by royal birth, a real son, the son worthy to sit at his father's right hand whereas the angels always stand in the presence of God even Gabriel and Michael and to Christ was given dominion over the angels find the name Michael in one other place I'd like you to come to Daniel chapter 12 this is often a, a verse that's discussed I'd like to just give you some indications how I think this verse should be read it's important to notice that Michael's work as the commander of the host finished when Christ arrived into heaven and all power was given unto him. When he had now at his disposals the, the armies of heaven. But we find in Daniel chapter 12 a verse that has to do with the time of the end, of the time of the resurrection and the coming of Christ at which this name Michael appears again. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time and at that time thy people shall be delivered everyone found written in the book and it goes on to talk about the resurrection and I submit to you that this Michael here is the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll show you why I think that should be the case because here we have the one who is like unto God which is what his name means the commander over the host of Yahweh, which Christ now most certainly is, but you notice it calls him a great prince. And that is showing the difference between Michael and Christ. This is a great prince. It also says there, at that time shall Michael stand up. And if you stand up, you've been sitting down. And only Christ sits in the presence of God. You might remember the vision that Stephen was given when he was about to be executed. I saw heaven open and Christ standing on the right hand of the Father. 
And surely by that time when Stephen was stoned, Christ was sitting. But no, he was standing because God was saying to Stephen, Christ is about to leave as far as you're concerned. Your resurrection is so close that Christ is coming for you. And that's what we're shown here. The time has come when the one sitting at God's right hand has now stood up to come back and rescue Israel and to raise the dead like Stephen. And so the Michael here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just take a couple of little summaries of verses that indicate that to us. You're probably aware that through the book of Daniel, particularly in other books, the Lord Jesus Christ is called a prince. Daniel 8 verse 11, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall stand up against the prince of princes, which again is the Lord Jesus Christ. Messiah the prince, the people of the prince. In Ezekiel 44, it is for the prince, the prince, he shall sit and to eat bread before Yahweh. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is often described as a prince of Yahweh's host and as a leader and a commander of the people. So you see, it's quite appropriate to put Christ the prince. But when you have a great prince, then we really get down to unique terms about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you come to greatness, that's when Christ comes into his own. He shall be great, says the angel to Mary. The city of the great king. The one who showed the greatest love. A great high priest. Great is the holy one in the midst of thee. He shall send them a saviour and a great one. I'll divide him a spoil with the great. And that great shepherd of the sheep. And so you see again and again we have the Lord Jesus Christ not only described as a prince of God's host but now the prince of princes truly the great prince that will come and to lead the hosts of heaven in the greatest conquest of the earth. Let's come to Zechariah 14 and see how that is fulfilled. That he now is the great Michael that stands up. He is the new commander that will come in great power and to bring the judgments of God upon the earth. And we read in Zechariah 14 of the time when Israel needs to be delivered from the hand of its oppressors. And we read in Zechariah 14 verse 3 Then shall Yahweh go forth and fight against those nations when he fought in the day of battle. What does it mean then shall Yahweh go forth? Well it will be the Lord Jesus Christ that goes forth. He shall be Yahweh upon earth. He will be God with us in the greatest of senses and he will come and we quite then accurately read in verse 4 and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Yes we know that Christ will come with the multitude and the saints who as his feet will trample under the wicked. We know all those things but ultimately he is the Yahweh that comes and his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives and divide it in the midst thereof. Because he is the Michael, he is the new commander, he is the one that takes over responsibility and will bring the world to God. And so Michael the archangel indeed was a great and a mighty angel prefiguring the work of the Lord Jesus Christ until Christ came into heaven. Let's move on now to the other angel that is named for us and that is the angel Gabriel. His name, Gibor Ale, indicates to us the mighty God. So again we have one that comes with a title, indicates his role before God. He's to represent God. He's also known as Palmoni. Now remember I said to you there was only two angels that shared the complete knowledge of the, the divine calendar. None holdeth with me, says Gabriel, but Michael your prince. So the only two of them that shared that knowledge Bearing that in mind, let's go to Daniel chapter 8 and look at this other angel that has appears here that has apparently a title or a name. In Daniel chapter 8, we have the prophecy of the little horn of the goat. We won't go into all that, but when we get to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 13, I'm going to read to you as it literally is in the Hebrew. And this is Daniel recording what he saw then I heard one holy one not a saint a holy one I heard one holy one or an angel speaking and another holy one said unto and let's go to the margin Palmoni 
or the number of secrets or the wonderful number. Now when do the margins got that many alternatives? You know they're struggling. We have here a Hebrew word, palmoni. It's made up of two components. It's made up of the word mene. Now you've seen from Daniel chapter 5 the writing on the wall, mene, mene, tikal yufasim. Mene, mene meant numbered numbered. So the word mene means to number. In the Hebrew the word pele means wonderful. There was an angel who came to the parents of Samson and he said my name is wonderful, Pele. So you have the wonderful number. Now I submit to you that that's probably not a name so much as a title given to Gabriel. Because in this particular context what amazed the other angels who were watching Gabriel was his command of the time periods. And here he was talking about kings moving in this direction and then four kings coming in the place of this one and other ones going in this direction and down to the prince of the host and he's got the whole plan in front of him and the other angels are asking him notice what it said there here's, here's one holy one speaking as a palmoni and another holy one asks him and says how long so the other angels are inquiring about the time periods from Gabriel or the wonderful number this is the particular role of Gabriel controlling the calendar now we find that Daniel also gets involved in this in verse 16 we'll come back to verse 15 came to pass when I even I Daniel had seen the vision and sought for the meaning then behold there stood before me the appearance of a man and that interestingly is the word gibble a mighty man and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai which called and said Gabriel make this man to understand the vision so what you have here is Daniel along with the other angels are asking how long, how long, tell us what this means and because Daniel's inquiring Gabriel is sent to him to explain it to him so Gabriel is the wonderful numberer who understands these things and comes to tell Daniel and so he says Daniel in verse 17 understand O son of man for at the time of the end shall be the vision and he goes on to explain to him in more detail about the times and the seasons that God's given to him and Michael to control so you see you have Gabriel there as the, the discerner of the times the one who knows the calendar he is the wonderful numberer and both he and Michael are in control of that but Michael sends Gabriel to communicate it so we have the key responsibilities of Gabriel he is very much the work of the Messiah Michael is concerned with Israel he's concerned with the big picture of the kingdom of God Gabriel's key role is with the work of Christ the Messiah and we're going to see tomorrow God willing how often Gabriel appears in the work of Christ through the Gospels it was Gabriel who gave the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 about the cutting off of Messiah the Prince it was Gabriel who came to Zacharias to Mary, to Joseph that they might know the work that this was the time that God had prepared for 490 years the 70 weeks had come to pass and he controls the divine timetable in the New Testament Gabriel is known under the phrase as his angel the personal mission of the Lord Jesus Christ who comes and at Christ's direction also reveals the will of God to men Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 that Christ has sent with his angel that we might know the things which are shortly to come to pass and so we see Gabriel is very much involved with the work of Christ and with the divine calendar he has those dual roles and with the calendar he works particularly with Michael on those things very likely he was the angel in the garden of Gethsemane very likely he was the angel who opened the tomb and raised the Lord Jesus Christ to immortality but there was one other thing that Gabriel did and that was to communicate interesting how many times we have this angel that comes to explain things to the prophets Gabriel make this man to understand the vision I am come to show thee says Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9 unto thee am I now sent in Daniel chapter 10 in Zechariah we find the angel that talked with me goes through those first five chapters of Zechariah 
over and over again, the angel that talked with me, the angel that showed me these things. And we have the same relationship there. You have the Yahweh angel standing and dispatching other angels and Gabriel standing by the prophet to explain things to him. I am Gabriel, sent to speak unto thee. Gabriel was sent from God to Mary. For behold, I bring you good tidings to the shepherds. And so he was the one, along with Michael, understanding what God was fully doing. He would go out and he would explain to men under Michael's direction. That's why the voice came. Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Because he was sent by Michael to communicate to humanity. And so he became known as the angel that talked with me. There's a number of occasions where we suggest that this angel might have appeared. When Paul was on the ship, bouncing around on the Mediterranean, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. There came one of the seven angels and talked with me, says John. He that talked with me in Revelation 21 again. Now I am come to make you understand. And so on through that theme. And you get a very clear impression that it's an angel that is sent from heaven to explain things to mankind. Another interesting thing about this particular angel, in Daniel chapter 10, we find Gabriel is given a particular title. Just look at Daniel chapter 10, 5. When Gabriel came in Daniel chapter 10, He's described this way. I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a certain man. And the margin has got one man, or as we have it, the man of the one. And that's quite a unique phrase through this Bible. It only occurs on several occasions. One of them is with Joseph. Interesting, isn't it? He was the man who was to be the greatest ever portrayal of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's looking for his brethren and a certain man found him. It didn't say that Joseph found somebody to ask directions. A certain man found him, and that's the identical Hebrew. The other time it occurs in Ezekiel chapter 9. Have a look at this one. Prophecy of Ezekiel concerning the fate of Jerusalem. And it's portrayed by angels going around the city looking for some who were sighing for the abominations done in Jerusalem. And the commander is Yahweh. Verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 9, He cried also in mine ears, if you go back you'll see this is the Yahweh angel, He cried in mine ears saying, Cause them and have charge over the city to draw near. And we find in verse 2, Six men came from the way of the higher gate, everyone with his slaughter weapon in his hand, and here it is, and a certain one, a man of the one among them, clothed with linen and the rider's inkhorn by his side. And that's the one that goes around the city trying to find those who were sighing for the abominations done in Jerusalem. And so we suggest to you that Gabriel occurs on a number of occasions still working under the direction of Michael the archangel. So we have these two wonderful angels. Michael who represents God before Christ came into the earth and Gabriel who works with Michael commanding the divine calendar along with Michael and also very much concerned with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. One that got one the angel of the kingdom, one the angel of the salvation in Christ. And between the two of them they have this intimate knowledge of God's timetable. Moving the nations, combining together to make sure that the times and the seasons, in the fullness of time that God would send forth his son. There had to be political movement so that nations were in certain places. Certain rules had to be made for the taxing to go to Bethlehem. There had to be a number of things organised on the big picture years and years ahead to make exactly the right time for the birth of Christ. And those two angels had to cooperate marvellously in those things. And when the disciples looked into the tomb, what did they see? Behold, two angels sitting. And it's not often you find angels sitting, but they had completed the greatest part of their work in bringing Christ out of the grave. And there were two angels sitting in the tomb and between them the grave clothes of the Son of God. And on the Mount of Olives, when the promise of his return was given, two angels stood by them. And I suggest to you very likely that was Michael 
and Gabriel. Their work had now meshed together and Christ had gone to heaven to take his place at the right hand of the Father. And what an occasion that was. Christ now becomes the commander over the angelic host. Jesus said to his disciples after he was raised, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, the RV has perhaps the most accurate translation. And when he again bringeth in the firstborn into the world, he said, this is talking about the resurrection of Christ, that all the angels of God worship him. And Christ is proved to be greater than the angels because the prophecy said that when he came back from the dead, the angels would be subject to him, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. And it's Jesus that now sends out his angel to communicate to mankind. And you can imagine when, the, when Christ came into heaven what incredible joy it was for Michael and for Gabriel to submit to him and to see the love between Christ and his Father. No jealousy, no envy, just an incredible joy and a sense of fulfilment that they had brought the Son of God to this point of time and presented him to the Father. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to think of the cooperation of those two great angels in fulfilling the work of God. And now that the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted in heaven, all the titles and the names of the angels are ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the titles that we know about the angels. The Prince of Yahweh's Host, Gabriel, the Gibor Ael, the Mighty Warrior, the Mighty God, Michael, he was like unto God, Palmoni, the Wonderful Numberer, and Pele, the Wonderful. Just take a note of this verse. We've probably read this verse over and over again, but did you realise in this verse all the name and titles of the, of the angels are there? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Pele, Counselor, Gabriel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the one who is like unto God, the Prince of Peace. And what will make Christ's reign effective? The zeal of Yahweh of armies, of Yahweh Sabaoth, the army of heaven will accomplish this, Isaiah goes on to say. So we can see that all the, the, the names and titles of the angels are now ascribed to the greatest of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by inheritance bears a more excellent name than the angels. And we could go on talking a lot more about the angels, but we want to make an exhortation from Michael the Archangel because there is an exhortation given to us in the New Testament particularly concerning him. I'd like you to come to the second of Peter chapter 2. There's an event referred to in the second of Peter 2 and in Jude which is the same event. In Jude it has Michael the archangel contending for the body of Moses, which of course is Israel. The same event is referred to in the second of Peter, chapter 2. Now let's just look at the situation that Peter was talking about and Jude was likewise talking about it. Remember Jude said we would much rather have written about the common salvation, but it was needful to write that you contend for the faith once delivered. And Peter's got the same problem to address. There's the problem of false teaching that was arising in the first century. Verse 1 of 2 Peter 2. There were false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you. It would bring in by the back door, he says, damnable heresies. So there was a great danger to the truth in the days of Peter. And he said, well, how are you going to recognise these people? They weren't yet preaching openly the things that would lead people astray. What would be the things to look for for brethren that have got the wrong motivation? For brethren that would be prepared to lead people astray for their own gain? What would you look for in brethren? How would you detect them in their early stages? Well, he says you can find a way to detect them 
Verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Here's the things that they are, that you can actually detect in them. They despise dominion. You see, one of the early signs of people who are going to perhaps lead others away from the truth is that they don't like the fact that others have positions of responsibility. I suppose in our day, these are the sort of people that go around saying, well, who do the AB think they are? You know, there are no real shepherds. We're all shepherds. You've probably heard these sayings a few times. But there's the sort of thing. They despise dominion. They want nobody to, to, to correct them and to pull them into line. They're presumptuous, self-willed, and are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And there are people who are very quick to pull down brethren of responsibility, of reputation, and brethren who have established themselves as earnest teachers of the word. There are some people who love to pull them down for their own ends. And Peter's warning us how we can recognise the signs. And then he makes an exhortation in verse 11. It's the same exhortation that Jude makes about what true saints ought to do and it's based upon Michael the archangel. Look what he says. Whereas angels which are greater in power and might let's just stop there. You think of the difference between us and Michael the archangel. In our disputations We don't always know that we're right. We might think we're right, but quite often we find that we're not as right as we thought we were. We're very often prone to impute evil motives to other people. We know why they're doing that. We make shocking generalisations, you know, like all New Zealanders are hopeless. We do that. You hear those sort of statements. You know, don't go to Adelaide. No one down there believes the truth anymore. You ever heard those sort of statements? We do. We make shocking generalisations. We blacklist people. We destroy the valuable work that people are trying to do just by destroying their reputations. Humankind are very quick and very capable of using the tongue to the most evil effect. And we don't always know we're right. But he says, Angels bring not railing accusation against them before Yahweh. Now what's he talking about? Well, what Jude is actually quoting and what Peter is actually quoting is an incident that happened back in Zechariah chapter 3. Let's just keep our hand there and go back to Zechariah 3 and see what happened. You see, they are quoting a vision concerning Michael the archangel. And they're making a note of the very careful way that Michael spoke in a time of controversy. Now, the situation in Zechariah 3 is that the Jews were trying to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans were opposing the work. In fact, we're told in verse 1 that Satan, or the Samaritans, who were trying to stop the work, were standing at his right hand to resist him. So Joshua the high priest was building on the temple side and the Samaritans were getting in the way of his right hand. The right hand is the hand you work with. So they were getting in the way of the work. And this vision is to reassure them that they were not alone. The whole vision of Zechariah 3 is intended to convey to them that even though they thought they were under pressure from the Samaritans, the Yahweh angel was interested in that particular matter. And Yahweh said to the Satan, Yahweh rebuked thee, O Satan, even Yahweh that chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. And in verse 3, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and he stood before the angel. From Joshua's perspective, all he could see was Samaritans. From the divine perspective, the Yahweh angel was right there. And that vision was to give them that reassurance. But I want you to notice how restrained Michael the archangel was. In this vision, he addresses the enemies of the truth. He addresses these Samaritans who are trying to stop the work of God. He knows their motives are evil. 
He knows that God one day is going to turn the whole matter on their heads. And yet, all he's prepared to say to these Samaritans is Yahweh rebuke thee and to leave the matter in God's hands. Now, here's the greatest of the angels. He would go no further than that. Jude says he durst not bring railing accusations because he works under God and judgment belongs to God. He durst not, says Jude, bring a railing accusation. So what's Peter's point? Come back to the second of Peter chapter 2. Quite an exhortation for us, brethren and sisters, if the angels, and particularly the mightiest angel of all, is so careful about the way that he speaks when he knows that he's perfectly right, how much more ought men to be careful who are imperfect, who are not great in, in power and might. How much more moderate in speech ought we to be when we're talking about each other? And the lesson that we learn from Michael the Archangel is that when we are working under God, that we leave judgment to God and that we speak moderately about our brethren and we speak very, very moderately when it comes to accusing others. You see, that's the exhortation, isn't it? Great angels durst not bring railing accusations. And those are the sort of beings that God chooses to have working eternally for him. And I believe the brotherhood could learn something from that lesson. We hope to work with these people. We hope to mingle them in their company. We hope to be equal unto the angels like Gabriel and Michael. Let's learn the lesson of the moderation of speech. He durst not bring railing accusation against people he knew were wrong. Let's be careful how we speak about our brethren. So, brethren and sisters, we leave the archangels in that very brief consideration with this quote from the Ministry of the Prophets. Could we but penetrate the invisible with our faithful scrutiny we should see the angels of God at work just as much now as in the days of Daniel and the Persian kings. There is progress, though there is silence. And when we see how much in the past that God has let the angels represent him on the earth, and when we know that God sends forth the angels to minister to the heirs of salvation, let us tonight go away very conscious of the fact that God has sent forth angels concerned for us, and that one day by his grace, we shall meet those angels, every one of us meeting the angel that has guided our life. And then, brethren and sisters, we shall really believe that Yahweh has sent them unto us.